Welcome to Mint, a unique look into how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. I'm your host, Adam Levy, and let's kick off this episode by giving some love to our three NFT sponsors. They are Coinvise, Poop, and Social Stack. First off, on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community-owned social token on Ethereum. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. Next up, we have Poop, or short for Proof of Attendance Protocol, who enables a novel way of creating one's life diary. Leveraging NFT technology, Poop facilitates an easy way to mint non-fungible tokens related to meaningful events. It's frequently used in crypto-native communities, and now it's starting to create NFT collectors in the mainstream too. Collect or launch your own POAP today by visiting poap.xyz. Next up, we have SocialStack, a platform for communities, brands, and creators to build mission-driven social token economies, offering an easy-to-use non-custodial wallet with a suite of open-source community engagement tools. SocialStack makes it simple to bring your community into Web3 and be a part of creating an open-source, gratitude-driven future for social tokens. Create a free social token wallet, discover mission-driven social token communities, or apply to launch your own token on SocialStack by visiting socialstack.co today. This episode welcomes Alex Zhang, a co-founder of Friends with Benefits and the aspiring Jane Jacobs of DAOs. This was probably one of the most important conversations I've had on Mint so far. Simply because Alex brings so much insight and is extremely well-versed with all things DAOs. So in this episode, we talk about his early childhood, the relevance between Jane Jacobs and DAOs, the concept of internet organizations existing as digital cities, major opportunities around DAOs, the launch of FWB Season 4, developing community culture, creator DAOs, the similarities between photography and DAOs, what will be the death of DAOs, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Alex, welcome to Mint. How you doing, man? Good. Happy to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. Let's just j- dive right in for a minute, okay? Uh, I want you to tell me a little bit about yourself, but more specifically, what were you doing before crypto and where are you now? Yeah, uh, I was pretty recently crypto-pilled, maybe about six to eight months ago, so pretty fresh. Um, I would say I had a pretty introductory experience to crypto, mostly through my peers, um, you know, by ETH, by Bitcoin, whatever, years ago, and never really was interested in like the DeFi, yield farming, like that whole category side of the space. Um, My background has always been more in sort of intersection of culture and technology, um, and, and, and more importantly, the sort of layering and, 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 and aggregating of people and how people interact with each other through those different sort of mediums or industries. So that took shape and threw a lot of parties in college, organized a lot of events and experiences, you know, was, was mostly fascinated from the technology side with social networks and marketplaces. Like how do people come together how do people transact together? How do people build, accomplish shared goals um, when, when, when sort of effectively coordinating? And so when I started learning about DAOs through friends who were sharing things, you know, late last year, earlier this year, that was like the first kind of big click for me. It wasn't like NFTs were rad. I understood what it meant, what, what it meant for my 
friends who were creating art or, or you know, to have the, sort of the non-fungibility and the values of non-fungibility to those specific assets. But for me, it was really DAOs and the sort of replacement or the, the, the future state of, of the corporation and how people could work together and work towards something that really, really got me uh, sort of, let's, let's say, crypto pilled or, or whatnot. Yeah. And I like how you brought up the whole reference to college. I think a lot of people who end up going to university start to explore the early interests and the early passions. You kind of got started with organizations by producing events. First of all, where'd you go to school? I went to USC. Okay. Fight on. Likewise. Yeah. <laughs> and second thing, what kind of events did you put together? Like, did you run a club over there? What What's the context behind that? Yeah. So... USC was a really interesting place in that it was just it was quite a large uh, university and it was in LA. And so we had really strong access to like culture and music and art and nightlife like outside of the city quite early. And so for me, I got really involved with the radio station uh, on campus oh, cool. XFC, um, as, as well as started a handful of, of sort of my own uh, organizations um, within sort of the entrepreneurial space. So it was, you know, one finding the sort of radio uh you know side of of, of university and, and and working with you know 100 or so djs and, and and learning how to dj myself and having my own radio show and sort of seeing the value of of of, of a group of like-minded people who, who who had an obsession over music and curating great music and then also identifying kind of this scratching this sort of let's call it like entrepreneurial bug where i was like man i really you know i really want to start a company or i really want to work with people to start companies but at that time, USC didn't really have um, didn't really have like a connective ecosystem for that. It was kind of everyone wanted to go be consultants or investment bankers or work for like a big tech company. And so, a group of friends in mine, uh, you know, in my we started uh, an organization called Lava Lab, and we started an organization called um, Spark SC, and and we just started really like find like bringing together hackers from all different spaces, from you know the business school from the, from from the from the engineering school from the design school and 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 bringing them under sort of one roof and, and we create a co-working space and we create all these different resources as a, as a as a means for for sort of this like switzerland on campus because we we parked it inside of the the communication school yeah. and so it was, it was there wasn't this like ego of like oh this is coming out of the business school or this is coming out of the the engineering school it was kind of this like one fluid hybrid space and so that was kind of an early sort of infrastructure where I learned the value of like multidisciplinary sort of cross-pollination, right? Bringing artists and creatives into an entrepreneurial space to launch companies and vice versa. I started to then throw parties around that in my backyard. I started to throw the parties for our university, booking talent, and and just became kind of obsessed with like community architecture, community building, you know, what happens when two people randomly meet and build something together and it becomes a thing and then and facilitating environments for those connections mm -hmm. to kind of occur organically. All right. So I did research about you beforehand, but I didn't come across the element of Spark SC in Lava Labs. So for those who don't know, those are like two of the most important organizations on campus uh, alongside Troy Labs. I'll shout out Troy Labs, which I helped bring to life as well. Uh, and the, the USC blockchain community over there. It was first called the Trojan Blockchain Society helped do that as well with other friends. And then that kind of merged the blockchain at USC right now. But super cool. A lot of how I got started, a lot of like my inspiration, a lot of my motivations stemmed from organizations on campus, stemmed from all the shit that happened outside of the classroom, all the fun, all the brainstorming that happened with students around me, regardless of what school they were in. So super cool. Didn't know that about you. Okay. Uh, moving forward. Okay. So 
what was it like kind of growing up in the in the Zhang residence? Okay, like what what do you think helped inspired and sparked that initial motivation to that led you towards like leadership, organizational design, decentralized governance, anything that you kind of like look back at and you're like, oh, interesting. I used to do this and this and that. And it's probably why I'm doing this. It's a great question. Um, yeah, I think growing my, my parents are both immigrants from Beijing, um, grew up in a suburb of California. And so uh, or a suburb of LA in, in, in Claremont. And so just the family dynamics and having to often like explore curiosities and passions outside of the home was just something like super critical to me early on. And, and my parents sort of taught me like this level of like resilience and like, you know, sort of the immigrant story, right? Like kind of figure everything out on your own. Um, you know, there's, there's always, there's always a third door, right? It's not option A or B. There's always C, yeah. kind of like, ingenuity that comes from just like like having to immigrate to an american and deal with all the the the, the sort of challenges that come with that and so it was just really like you know my dad is just incredibly and and, oh the most clever person i know and always coming up with like amazing solutions to things and so i've always been sort of a hacker you can call it like early on where i I hated sort of institutional things i hated corporational things i hated like like the this is the way things should be done so you should follow it um and, and, and even though my parents often kind of impressed that upon me, right, they wanted me to go work at big corporations and all these things. And I was like, nah, like I, 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 I like creating things. I like working with sort of undefined things and spaces. Um, and so that was really where I established kind of an early obsession over um, the unknown and the undefined. Yeah. Then it was really, you know, as as sort of in – growing up in an immigrant household and then being a minority growing up in the States, you often have to be like, all right, like, how do I fit in? Like, what, like, what, like in high school, like, how do I, how do I find my people who, if they don't look like me, how do I find my sort of community? And then it's often like leaning into your, whatever strengths that you have at the time, which for me was like my social sort of, sort of dexterity and agility. And then my ability to like be, the floater in terms of moving between different friend groups. So hanging out with, you know, the kids, you know, the kids who hung out at the skate park, hanging out with the homies on the football team and the soccer team or hanging out with, you know, I was in all AP and IB IB classes. So it was kind of like, I, I, I sort of moved fluidly throughout these different spaces. Um, And that taught me like that, that, that just, that, that taught me about being a multidimensional individual and like creating bridges between different types of groups. And like that, I found that to be way more interesting than just being yeah. defined by like one specific category. And so I, I don't know, I think th- those two experiences were like pretty formative. And then now how I treat and design systems today in terms of like thinking about like, you know, diverse systems, organic systems, um, how do people come together and create things sort of, you know, the more diverse uh, you know, the more diverse the inputs, the more complex the outputs. These types of framings yeah. were all from were all from uh, sort of childhood and growing up. Yeah, I think like you as well. My parents migrated here from the Middle East when they were like in their twenties, and they had my brother and I here, and they both came here not knowing the language. Actually, my mom got kind of got uh, what's the word? Immigrated from from the Mexican border, right? Kind of thing, and. Our, fa- our family snuck her in and my dad managed to like fly over here from the Middle East and had my brother and I didn't know the language, didn't know nothing, had like a couple thousand dollars to his pocket and just made something, right? And just figured it out. And there's something about growing up around that energy, around that mentality. 
that teaches you like grit, that teaches you that th that third door mentality, right? Like, you know, one thing that comes to mind, you're from LA, is like when we're on the 405, like merging to the 101, and there's always a long line of cars just waiting to make that intersection. And then there's that side lane, you know, <laughs> where you just like drive through and just like cut right in. That's the type of thinking that parents taught us. At least that's what I'm picking up from you. That's how it kind of translated to me as well. Uh, so it's cool to see you also kind of explore that unknown because growing up for me, my dad always told me, he's like, go to, go to Google, go to JP Morgan, go to these big tech firms. And I'm like, no, I'm going to this thing called internet funny money called Bitcoin. Like, this is what I want to do. Like, it's new, it's fresh, it's different. Uh, so yeah, cool, cool to hear that. All right, let's dive into DAOs. Okay. One thing that stood out to me about yourself is uh, in your Twitter bio, you you aspire to be the Jane Jacobs of DAOs. Okay. For starters, who's Jane Jacobs and why do you aspire to be her for DAOs? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's funny how much of like uh, how much that sort of bio sort of resonates um, with 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 uh, with different people. But yeah, I mean, so so Jane Jacobs, I, I first encountered her work. She, she, she's a, she's a she's a journalist and author, activist, sort of urban studies sociological legend, and and was in this camp of of sort of you know, Christopher Alexander, a lot of these different individuals who thought intensively and wrote intensively about um, city design and how cities affect people and how cities affect economics and how and sort of the relationship between um, these different environments. Um, but really what I, from her work, from a really empathetic sort of human led um, lens. And so the first book I read by hers was, you know, the classic sort of the, 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 the death and life of great American cities. And that was sort of my red pill into like urban theory where I was like, whoa, this is really interesting. Someone writing about how important it is, uh, how, how, how sidewalk width is important to how cities function and how people bump right. into each other on streets and what that means for how people use and activate on streets. Right. And, 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 and all the way down to like, uh, you know, fields of work of thinking about the role of parks in cities as these kind of like main central locations and areas where people could flow in and out in a place where, you know, like New York City um, is, is, has, 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 has really great socioeconomic stratification of, you know, the beauty of New York is, is, is you could be, you know, a, a, a very wealthy individual billionaire who lives on the Upper East Side, or you could also be a struggling artist student and you guys could walk past each other on the street because of how the city is designed versus as someone who grew up in LA, you would uniquely understand um, LA isn't designed for that. Right, LA lacks shared yeah. space. You don't bump into people in LA. Everyone's in their cars. Everyone's driving from their house to the restaurant that they're going to go eat at, and then back home. In New York, there's a lot more serendipity. There's the shared space. There's the subway system where everyone has to use that to an extent to move and navigate across the city. That work was fundamental for me in my last role, uh, where I was the creative director at a community organization called Summit Series where we threw global um, festivals, events, and crowdfunded to purchase a ski resort in Utah where we were building a town from scratch. And so it was the study of urban studies and how cities are built that I used when designing 3,000-person festivals and conferences or designing and working with the team on the foundations of how a ski resort is developed and built in terms of what's private space, what's public space, what's mixed use, what's the relationship between commercial and residential, what how does economic policy affect how people interact with these cities. And so I, I just I'm like a city nerd and 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 found her work to be really, really interesting. And she's sort of revered as like the grandmother, her alongside like Chris Alexander, <laughs> on like how great cities are sort of 
built. And I think what we're seeing now with DAOs and what we're seeing a lot now with, with these internet communities that are sort of forming overnight via fractionalized NFTs or, or, or via tokenization of communities right. or even the internet at large, no different than let's say Reddit, right? Is these look like internet cities. And, and, and when you apply a similar design thinking framework of like, how wide is the virtual sidewalk analogy look like? Or what is the role of the public park? What is a public good look like in the digital internet things like that start to be really really um exciting and 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 are interesting reference points reference points when making decisions as a as, a, as an architect or as a as a as a as a, as a leader uh, of a right you know and we'll we'll get to that i have a long list of questions like what does crime look like at a dow what does a sidewalk look like in a digital we'll get to that in a minute but talking more about jane jacobs and how she's inspired a lot of a lot of your thinking a lot of your leadership what are some of the key takeaways that she writes about that you find yourself applying on a day-to-day to, let's say, FWB, for example? And this could even be tied to, like, the upbringing of season four, too. Yeah. So high level, Jane Jacobs really champions this notion of community-based approaches to city building. And so really studying how a city isn't ever designed top down like it's it's a good city is never like a mayor being like all right this is what we're all going to do fall in line right a, a good city is a, a, a really good governmental layer creating the right infrastructure the right boundaries and allowing for the citizens to color inside or outside of the lines and to populate it with their own recurring repetition of patterns and interactions. Christopher Alexander, who writes a lot of stuff with her same sort of philosophy. And so, you know, what is that, what is, what does that mean on a city level? What that means is like, no one's telling you how to live in a city. There's no, there's no instructions for how to live in, in New York, but there's the way the city is designed is done in harmony with how people live here in a way that what you come to love and enjoy about New York is the serendipity people say on the streets, right? Wow, like you run into someone on the street and New York's got an energy. Everyone's like, the city's alive. Like that's intentionally right. designed, but it's populated by the people who exist in within that framework. And so I think it was, it was, it was that grassroots, bottoms up, community built approach that made so much sense to me when it related to um, internet design um and, and or sort of internet community design in a way that internet communities are no different right it isn't about um you can't just spin up a discord and have a community it needs to be like if, if you if you think about your channel design like all your different discord channels those are no different than creating your streets and and your pathways in in in, in, in city design if we're playing sim city or if we're playing whatever it's like if you have thousands and thousands of channels before you have people everyone's going to be dispersed and spread everyone there's never going to be like sort of a central location where people gather so mm -hmm. for FDB, it was really thinking about like okay what channels what sent what channels are our central park right what what channels are our main meeting place where 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 if you think about it what are the roles of parks in great cities right now parks at least in the last two years, three, I mean, actually in the last hundreds of years, right? Parks were places for either celebration, protest, or places where people could, could, could immerse themselves in nature and like unplug from sort of an intensive city environment. So it's like, what does that look like in a digital environment? Well, in FWB, we have something called FWB general chat, which is sort of like where everything goes down. It's kind of like the main town square and it's designed to be like where someone's like lost or if someone's like raising a protest or if someone's like celebrating some sort of a win that's where you go to sort of like be one 
with the masses. And then it all sort of fractionalized and breaks out into way more specific um, channels that are based on interest, that are based on value set, that are based on a whole bunch of different set of criteria. You can think of it no differently than in New York, you hang out in Bushwick or you hang out in the Upper East Side or you hang out in, in Chelsea, all have different value sets based on architecture, cost of living there, types of people living there and, and access to whatever like local mm -hmm. resource. So I think we think of like channel infrastructure as just one example as is, 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 is if you think about it from a city's perspective, like what are the public spaces where you can increase the number of interactions between communities with like mind, like minds and the shared interests to like increase serendipity and relationships, but then translating that into, um, you know, a, 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 a digital environment um, where you want to increase sort of those, those different, um, I guess like, yeah, connective, connective points. Yeah. I have never heard anybody describe a discord channel the way you just outlined all those channels and how they pertain to like IRL type of locations. It, and it's actually such a good way to do that because for those who are going to be listening to this, right, whether they be creators, contributors in that realm, when they're trying to start their own web three communities, I feel like that's the right way to look at it, right? Like where, where are people going to be spending time the most? What is, how do you define every single channel and what they should be doing in there? And kind of zooming out and using a physical location as like your guide from like, say, let's say like a city point of view makes everything, I guess, come together much smoothly in my head. <laughs> like it just makes so much more sense. And now I'm like, I'm looking at the discord over here, friends with benefits discord. And I always just saw them as like channels, but when you put it, they're from neighborhoods. That point of view, exactly. They're, they're neighborhoods. literally neighborhoods. Totally. They're, yeah. they're 100% neighborhoods. And when you go into like things like the NFT channel, it's got its own vibe. There's, there's like the same 10 to 15 people who are the most active people driving a lot of the discourse. There's about a hundred to 300 people who are watching that discourse. And it's no different than like NFT general is kind of like, that's kind of like our, like, I don't know, one of our most pop, it's our most popular neighborhood and, 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 and has its sort of its own unique sort of distinct sort of culture. And so my role wearing this sort of mayor hat is really looking at those types of channels and how do we give them resources to, to continue to develop and, and, and amplify and repeat those patterns that are happening on that local level. And so if we're really zooming in on this like city analogy, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of no different than like, if you, if you think about like, you know, I got really into like parks for a while, how, you know, what makes a good park and, 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 and why do people visit certain parks? And, and one of the things that I, 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 I was really fascinated by was the role of the park bench and, and how park benches play in parks where if you, you know, you'll notice this the next time you walk into a, a really good park, like one in Paris or one in New York or, um, you know, any of the, the major European parks um, is all the benches face um, inward. They all face the street or they all face the walkways. And it's designed in a way where to create a spectator, a, sort of a voyeuristic spectator relationship into a public space. So it doesn't feel weird to be sitting there alone. Because if a park bench was facing sort of a random tree or something, it, it, it quickly becomes, it lacks stimulation and eventually you get bored and you leave. But a park bench faces the walkway because it's not weird to sit on a bench and like smoke a cigarette or like, you know, right. eat a snack or drink a coffee because you're watching passerbyers cross every second. And it's, you can sit there for like an hour and just kind of like watch people watch. Right. And I think of, you know, I designed physical massive events around that exact same structure. Like how do you create a festival experience where people are sitting and watching other people 
um, and, and, and using that to increase a stronger sense of like purpose or, or belonging in that space. And now I've translated the same analogies to the discord where people love to just watch people chat with each other. There's something weirdly voyeuristic about watching two people are people love when two people argue with each other. And there's like a little bit of drama or people love when someone's in the discord kind of like chatting or typing. And it's that same kind of like voyeuristic perspective that I think about designing for when like, you know, in this sort of park bench to park uh, example. Yeah. Jane Jacobs talks, Jane Jacobs has a whole like chapter on park benches. Wow. I used to live in Switzerland and in Austria. And one thing I noticed while living in Europe for about nine months, I noticed how when you, when you look on Google Maps, all the cities or a lot of the major cities are designed as rings, right? And rings in a way where within those rings, they have smaller rings and smaller rings and smaller rings. Why is that? I never looked into that. Why, why do you think they've designed it like that? And you probably know the answer, but what, what's the context behind that? And does that apply to how digital cities work too? Yeah, so um, the most likely reason behind why uh, cities are designed in ring formats is a function of uh, labor markets and capital markets as it relates to proximity of commute time between the center of a city and the outside of a city. So, for instance, the reason why this, the, this sort of ring in the center is smaller or why if you think about the dense, it's, 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 it's a function of like density and like labor, right? Mm -hmm. So, um Asia is a fantastic example or, or even New York city where like, you know, the middle is more dense with higher skyscrapers because that's where a lot of the economic value of a city is being driven. You're commuting to work and, 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 the, and public transportation is designed in a way that allows for you to commute from your home, which is typically in a suburb, right? The older you get, you, you most people typically move outside of these rings because it's cheaper and you get more space. And so this idea that like the center is the center of a ring because it's the highest density of vertical building, you know, typical, you know, whatever skyscrapers, or you have thousands of employees inside of inside of, a, you know, a small radius or a, a, a small geographic footprint um, is, is, a, is a function of how cities respond to um, respond to sort of economic drivers and like labor, labor markets and, and capital markets, if that makes sense. Because if you have, if people are too spread out, and you don't have a center of the city, your public transportation won't reflect economic, uh, sort of efficient ways to commute to work. In a more like, you know, this is all obviously before people were working remotely and on the internet as most of these cities were built, you know, whatever, in the last 100 to 200 yeah. years. So a lot of it is defined by, I think, like labor markets. Yeah. One thing that Jane Jacobs talks about uh, is cities having like certain level of logic and uh, dynamism, right? Uh, and dynamism is basically the quality of being characterized by vigorous activity and progress. I'm like, that's how I understand like the pulse of a community, right? the vibrancy of the community. How does that translate to a digital city? Yeah, I, I, that's a really, I think about that like way too much. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty much like the, one of the core theses behind friends with benefits is really thinking about how do you, how do you, Im, how do you increase dynamism um, or frequency of interactions between individuals? Um, and so I think about that in a couple of ways. I think about that, one, understanding that most communities form sort of one to many, right? There's a central leader, there's a central creator who comes in and is like, all right, everyone, join my Discord and we're all going to hang out here and I'm going to drop content for you guys. That's like one, that's like level one and, and, and quite one dimensional. I think what Jane's referencing there is this idea of like many, the difference between many to many and the difference between sort of peer, peer to peer, right? And so, 
peer-to-peer is like one-to-one. Many-to-many is like network effects where like you actually now have um, a room of let's say 50 people in one-to-many example. I stand up on a table and I'm like, hey, everyone, what's up? Welcome to my, welcome to my crib. Like this is what we're going to do. Peer-to-peer is like one person talking to one person. Many-to-many is like all of those each having the ability to talk to the 49 other people. And so I think of dynamism as the acceleration of that with a shared goal and a shared purpose, which in a city example can often be like making this, it's a lot more soft, but it's essentially people gravitating towards cultural totem poles, if you will, or cultural sort of pockets. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in a digital city building context, it's essentially about establishing as many, many to many relationships as possible. And like creating the infrastructure where people can actually form strong connections with as many different people and be incentivized and encouraged to build things with those people. So in FWB, we do things like hackathons. We do things like town halls every two weeks. We do things like, you know, public voice chats where we talk about things. We have a meeting in like two hours where we as a community are going to be building and reviewing a code of conduct for this community. We do vision and value sessions where we like talk about what the values are of of FWB as a city. So all of those are like touch points that I think accelerate dynamism so that people feel empowered to then be like, you know what, like, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to help out with this. I'm going to contribute. And that recipe of a group of, of of talented passionate high quality contributors who feel empowered to participate is essentially dynamism and no different than a city and what you saw with let's take george floyd last summer and his murder that sparking a sense of dynamism across all of these major cities where everyone was like, we're going to now start to organize, self-organize and use networks to like, pr- to march and to protest and to do this. Right. And like, that is a beautiful example of like a resilient community or a resilient city is people being able to like execute those types of campaigns and, and initiatives from a grassroots level. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing you brought up earlier is this concept of sidewalks, park benches, I want to dive into those characteristics of what like pertain to a physical city and its different attributes and how that translates into a digital city. For example, like some components that come to mind, okay, sidewalks, parks, retail design, uh, concepts of self-organization, opera houses, all these things that kind of allow people to congregate transportation, all these key things that define and, 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 and give color to a city is now trying to be forced and squeezed into a discord server, right? Like what, what's the equivalent of like transportation on the digital side? What does that look like uh, at FWB, for example? Like what does an opera house look like for entertainment on FWB? What does crime look like from a traditional physical setting, but like in FWB, for example? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things, I think it's really important in this city analogy that we don't also take it like too literally. Right. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like literally all of us living on the internet exclusively on the internet, but I think of it more as like the internet city as a framing from like, like a, like an urban theory perspective of like, like little bits and pieces that you want to remix. And so I say that as in like, I think everyone in FWB agree. We don't want to all live on the internet. Like we view, we view the internet, we view web three, we view blockchain as like tools, to actually enhancing physical world. It's why a big part of our experience and roadmap for Friends of Benefits is throwing wicked parties and having great experiences and like bringing people together in a physical IRL environment, but like facilitating coordinated digitally, right? 
Um, and so, and even though some of those examples, for instance, sure, we could think of it like explicitly in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, um, in a digital context, um, which there are good parallels, right? Crime totally exists, right? Online harassment, sexual harassment, people violating codes of conduct, people being assholes to each other in a discord. That is, that is crime. If it violates mm -hmm. a set of rules created by a community that is governed by that community, that that's the police, right? Some sort of enforcement mechanism um, with with some set of consequences that are established. Those exist in really mature online communities. Got go, codes of conduct and guidelines, things like that. Um, opera houses, right? I mean, if you distill what an opera house even is, let's just say that's a physical place that represents some sort of cultural attraction. Um, that's that that could be no different than like Jess Sloss every Thursday doing his seed club talk on FTV. That could be our like opera. House. You know what I mean? No, I, think no, I, totally I want to hear Jeff sing. That's what I, I want to hear I Jeff sing. That's, that's what I hear. <laughs> He's a good opera singer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think they're both physical and they're both digital. But I think it's more important to think about things like the theory around these types of things. So, for instance, in FWB, you know, there's a lot of uh, conversations around like, man, our token price is, is, is way too high to, for people to join. Da, 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 da. And we, we just launched a new initiative yesterday called FWB Local, which is essentially getting able, being able to join our city DAOs and our city channels um, for five FWB versus right now it's 75 FWB to join um, the full membership at the Discord. And like what we often think about when we think about this cost of living is we use this analogy of like, well, right now to live in New York City, you pay a pretty penny and, and, and you decide where you want to live. But if you want to live in Manhattan, you're paying an even prettier penny than if you want to live in, you know, Bed-Stuy, right, in the suburbs. And so it's like, but why do you pay? Why, why, why do you pay higher premiums? And, and you pay higher premiums for better access to culture, better access to people, right? To eat at really nice restaurants, to go to really great museums and opera houses, to like participate in a certain level of cultural production that if it warrants that. So we think of Friends of Benefits is no different. Like right now our gating mechanism is quite one dimensional, 75 FWB to get full membership, five FWB to get access to our events and our cities, one FWB to read our content or to read our newsletter, stuff like that. But that's all like we're in the first to second inning of FWB. I mm -hmm. think the long term horizon is if you think about it from an urban planning or an urban theory perspective is how does FWB as a token or as a gating mechanism start to be thrusted into the hands of the community where the community can start to set their own thresholds for FWB sort of approved or sanctioned activities, events, experiences, content, where it starts to take a little bit more of a market-based approach, where if someone wants to throw a 20-person dinner in New York and, it, and, and, and you need 200 FWB to join, great. They should be able to do that on an individual level. But if someone wants to do something for one FWB, they should also be allowed to do that. And, and, and then it's our role as, as more of a cultural currency to sort of organize, index that, and communicate that and approve things that fit our brand and community ethos, but ultimately allow for the community in itself to populate the different thresholds and the different access points. Where I think the long-term success of FWB is 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 a diversification of the token and of the access points, so it actually starts to function like a, a cultural currency. So it's like if Adam wants to do a, a hang in LA for 50 people and he wants to price it at 70 after or you know 200 FWB, but only two people show up then that's on you. You priced it too high. You know what I mean? Yeah. No different than a restaurant pricing their menu incorrectly mm -hmm. or, or opening up a restaurant in the wrong location. And so that's how we're trying to design the infrastructure in a way where right now it's FWB establishing these different gating 
sort of threshold, but eventually creating a dynamic, flexible, um, sort of much more anti-fragile infrastructure where the community can sort of set these different teams and set different FWB points and, 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 and diversify no different than if you were in a city, you could choose if you want to go to an espresso restaurant on the Upper West Side, or you can choose if you want to eat a hot dog at the park for like a dollar. It's like up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to jump into season four right now because we're already talking about that. So the whole theme of season four is basically defined by the strength and independence of our local parts, right? That's how you kind of summarized it in, in Discord when you guys announced it. Um, and just to quickly recap season three, you guys had an incredible performance, the community as a whole from, and this is again, picking up notes from what you guys wrote. And also my experience kind of living and voting on stuff and contributing is having uh, Chris Dixon pitch to FWB, right? And getting that that capital infusion or increasing membership growth, what by 4X, right? Quadrupled, right? And the community is just pulsating on a whole nother level. And now season four is like, okay, we have all these people in here. How can we empower people to be on their own and, and co-create with one another, right? That's what I'm kind of like picking up. So talk to me more about like, how do you guys plan to implement that? What does that look like in practice uh, beyond just a theoretical point of view? And I know you gave a couple examples, but could you go a little bit more into that? Yeah, I'm happy to. So yeah, season four is really this 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 idea of the strength of our local parts or the strength of our whole will be defined by our local parts, right? And, 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 the, and the sort of interdependence and the collaboration and, and how these local parts begin to form their own infrastructure tools and decision-making capacities to, to, to really enforce the culture within those neighborhoods. And so on the literal example, that's the city's initiatives, right? FWB in the last two seasons was like me, Cooper, Trevor, Derek, you know, all Rayhan, all of us as like staff members running around these different cities, throwing parties. Like we threw Paris, we threw New York, we threw Miami. And that was like us literally like picking the location, doing all of the organizing, booking the talent, getting the community there. But if you think about it, that doesn't scale, right? If I want to throw a sick FWB party in Istanbul, it's like, I, I, it doesn't make sense for me to fly out there and like discover that city and like figure out where to throw, where to throw, to throw an event. The, the, the real... The, the, the FWB way or, or, or the sort of decentralized way or distributed way would be like, how do we establish the infrastructure for an actual Istanbul city DAO to form or in this season four, LA, New York and London are sort of top three markets to form to begin to elect their own forms of leadership, to pool capital together and to begin throwing experiences for themselves. It's like, I won't know what the coolest hot new bar is or the new hot cool restaurant is in, in LA or SF if I don't live there. And so the idea is to empower local constituents and citizens and token holders to begin to co-curate experiences for themselves in those local cities. And then as a community member, you're then able to visit LA, New York, London and access any of those events that are being planned on a local level. And so you can envision now, if you look in even FWB, we launched this yesterday, the channels now have an LA dedicated channel with multi-sub channels and New York, London and, and, and versus before in season one, it was just one channel that was FWB LA. And so what, what we hope will start to happen is the LA channel will start to develop its own patterns, its own culture, its own community members, its own vibe that starts to become a lot more potent than the 400 LA members who are scattered all throughout the Discord, but now all working towards shared goals and shared incentives. So that's what that looks like on a city level. Now, what does that look like on an even more galaxy level is take the NFT channel, for instance. This is a channel I'm really, really excited Mm -hmm. about. 
Um, you've got some of the most, it's our most active neighborhood by far. You've got every night you go to bed and you wake up and there's thousands of new messages. Like no one can even follow along. The, the amount of alpha in there on NFT projects to buy or the amount of artists who are in there who are looking to make their first, you know, NFT project and they come from, you know, a contemporary art space is like really, really impressive. But there's no way I can properly design the right tools and infrastructure for that group to succeed. Instead, I should, I, I should empower local constituents and leaders in those channels who eat, sleep and breathe NFT general chat and give them tools, capital, resources, a framework to be able to build their own FWB inside of the NFT channel. The beauty about Web3 is now we have new value accrual mechanisms and the ability to do token swaps, the ability to do token investments where we can align incentives. So it's not like that community forks, but it's now we're all working towards the same goal, which is to provide utility and value to the FWB token, but they can do that on a much more local way. And so what does that look like? That looks like empowering the NFT channel to essentially create their own investing mechanisms, right? Community mm -hmm. members pool capital together to invest in NFTs. They can start to work together on a, a curatorial level, right? And, and the NFT channel can start to signal really cool art artists who they want to back and invest in to like launch NFT projects. Um, they can start to build their own tools, right? You can see already the NFT channel created an alpha channel where it's just leaks and drops of really cool projects. So people can, can invest in those or support those artists um, if they miss the larger channels. Like they're going to start creating their own content, their own, their own media. Like you can start to like almost view this as like a city or a, a neighborhood within a city um, that starts to like create their own brand and their own ethos, uh, but, but all still financially and socially incentivized with the FWB sort of main DAO or the parent DAO. And so, yeah, FWB local as like a, a season motto where uh, you know the, the the motto is locally sourced is really about identifying these different sub communities within fwb whether they're geographic like la new york or, or london or whether they're interest-based like nft general um or 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 um you know passion-based whatever it might be and 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 if they meet a certain level of like activity and engagement and dynamism as as miss mrs jacobs would say um the FWB DAO should support that and invest in that and help them create um, sort of their own squad uh, where, where FWB starts to look a lot more like a network of a thousand squads kind of working towards the same direction as opposed to like one big DAO with one multi-sig making all of the decisions. Hmm. Interesting. How long did it take you guys to come to that conclusion? How long? Yeah. We're three seasons. We're we're four seasons deep now. Okay. Yeah. Season yeah. one, it was just a social experiment. Season two was like shit. Shit's getting real. Like what's happening over here. Season three was like trying to understand, make some structures, make some parties. All that. Now season four is in the picture. It feels so defined. It feels so focused. Like I align with that, right? And I'm not such a crazy contributor, right? But I vote on stuff occasionally. I was in like the investment channels and whatever when, when you guys were doing like the fundraise or when we were doing the fundraise, if you want to put it like that, right? But now it feels so defined and it's going to set the example for how many other communities operate, communicate and how they think about their social layers. How did you guys get to that conclusion? The core team, at least in the community, right? I, I, I'm, I wasn't a part of that. I, I guess I'm more of like the outer ring kind of thing. Okay. But how did the core community come to that conclusion? Yeah, um, that's a great 
That's a great um, question, and most of these are, you know, organic, right? And 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 emergent is like a phrase we'll we'll, we'll use a lot in this work, or sort of emerges over a period of time through multiple different sort of inputs and organic sort of structures. Um, I think it really, man, was 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 a beautiful, chaotic culmination of like a lot of major pivotal moments for friends with benefits. I think it was the fundraise where we got approached by um, pretty incredible partners from within the community and outside the community who started ask some of these really, really hard questions. What's the vision of FWB? I think season two and three, it was like, we all had our own little visions, but when you start to like discuss that in a more institutional capacity, um, you know, the need to sort of refine and crystallize that vision becomes a lot more apparent, right? So it was like a lot of people who um, had just really good bird's eye views of the space. So it was like those gradual conversations being had with different partners. Um, it really also was one of these really beautiful community exercises we started to do that started to provide a lot of value. So hmm. every other Friday, we started to do these things called like FWB vision values and mission sessions where essentially I would, I would open up a town hall or main stage chat and like 100 to 150 people would show up on a Friday afternoon. And we would just, I would start pulling people up and asking them like, what does FWB mean to you? And I would start taking notes and I would start to ask guiding questions. I would interview people who had really interesting perspectives. And we slowly started morphing from FWB as this ultimate cultural membership, which was really season three, season two, season three, into FWB as a city. And it was a couple key stakeholders who really drove that vision, right? Jacob Horn from Zora, um, you know, Chris Dixon, um, Tina, Tina, Tina from Pace, like different people who were like really kind of geeking out about this urban um, or this urban perspective, as well as like core team members who've been immersed in a lot of this thinking. Dexter um, Tortiello, who, who really leads a lot of the, the product side of it, like is deep in this sort of urban planning, um, you know, framing. And so it was like this connective tissue between needing to refine a vision when starting to like entertain large scale capital, um, as well as like community organic bubbling up of people really resonating towards the city framework as something a lot more inspirational than building a digital social club or like a social experiment that I think once it started to hit, then I, as like, 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 you know, one of the core drivers was really like, Oh, sh this, this feels really good. Like I need to start immersing myself deeply in this, mm -hmm. in this culture. And what was great was I already had a lot of homework done on this. So it was now just contextualizing it for, 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 for sort of this digital environment. So I started reading all these books, order without design by, you know, Alain Bertrand, like all these sort of really like dense theoretical books on like city design, urban planning, labor markets, internet community building, and then having these conversations over a repetitive course of time and then just testing things, right? Lobbing something out in a blog post and seeing if people pick up on it, dropping something in the discord. And it just seemed like the community really sort of rallied around it. And it felt like for the first time we had a proper framing um, of what we're trying to do here. So cool. <laughs> so cool and what all organic which is so interesting about yeah. it like, i always tell people like you know this stuff is, is is gardening not architecture and it's like art you have no idea what direction that plant is going to grow and it's a weird combination of like sunlight water and soil conditions right and it's like it's not like you can't plan it out you can't be like this is we're going to arrive here and we're going to work backwards from there it was way more like leaning towards what felt good and that's why i think for a lot of DAOs, it requires intuition um, and gut and like listening to your people and like going where those people are and like having conversations with those people and then compounding and developing a thesis over time 
that you're kind of like gut checking in public forums. Can these uh, these urban city primitives, the, the, the city idea, digital city ideas, can these these principles be applied to, let's say, like traditional hardcore DeFi type of servers or are they only applicable to social DAOs? Like could could a creator who is an Internet personality and has random Facebook group fan clubs of like randomly populated, you know, like uh, channels online, could he or she or they or whoever form these types of communities as well? Like, is that super applicable to them? Like, what's the right DAO to do this? Obviously social DAOs, but maybe not all social DAOs. Or is it? I think everything. It's human. It's human. It's on the human level. It has nothing to do with industry. Um, It has everything to do with, like, I think it, it is human nature to seek belonging and community, right? I think, frankly, why blockchain and why crypto is so strong and, and, and cult-like is because of this sense of belonging and, and intensity that it, it creates when you join. It's like when everyone first discovers crypto, you're like down this crazy, people talk about it as a rabbit, name another industry where people talk about it as like a rabbit hole. And one's like, oh my God, I just got so rabbit holed and, 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 you know, organic food pill. Like it's, it's like, it's like, like okay, no. you read about it and you do it, but it's because there's such a strong community layer to it. As someone likes like only like, you know, less than a year in, my Twitter timeline is entirely Web3 now. I'm like, how did I, like, what happened? Like, I, I had a Twitter before. I followed, like, tons of other people. My, my timeline is entirely, I feel like I'm in this weird little echo chamber where everyone's talking <laughs> about, like, super nuanced DAO infrastructure tooling. And it's getting, like, hundreds of retweets. And I'm just like, this is crazy. But to me, it shows that, like, we're part of a movement. A movement is comprised of smaller movements. And, like, anyone building a DeFi protocol or, or a creator who's looking to bring their community online every these these theories can be applied to anything it's just listening to like if i were to boil it down it's just like listening to your people creating the right avenues and opportunities for those people to build relationships with each other and then creating the framework and the infrastructure where those people can then be incentivized to build together and that's the holy grail of crypto because before this all of those things were happening there was just never a way to incentivize people. Everything, everyone just did it from a social uh, status perspective or, or an emotional perspective. People spending time in these different, um, you know, Reddit channels or Facebook groups. They're, they're no different. Like if you if you peek into a weird, like a, a weird niche subgroup Facebook group, an alt right Facebook group, a teenage girl Facebook group, they all have very similar traits of this. People are building relationships with one on each other. A natural leader emerges. Like all these yeah. different things. Crypto now actually allows these to turn into economies via shared bank accounts and financial incentives. So it's no different than when Wall Street bets kind of showed the world a year or, or whatever ago, where there's a group of people on the internet moving markets, making money together. That's no different than crypto, right? And so it was it was people working together to, to align financial and social incentives. Um, and so I think these theories can be applied to like any social organism um, as a way to essentially create emergent patterns and emergent strategies. Um, to accomplish any sort of goal that a group of people define to go yeah. accomplish. What else can we expect from season four? Like what should we look forward to? Yeah. I mean, beyond um, amazing experiences in your city um, to, you know, more and more really interesting neighborhoods electing their own leadership and forming their own sort of structure and creating their own 
which by the way which by the way i started getting dms from people like i'm running uh as like mayor or as something for this chapter can you vote for me but like like shit like it's actually getting like political like that like what where have we gotten <laughs> yo yeah that was crazy seeing like it was amazing seeing like people campaigning grown adults who like are so accomplished in their own individual professional and personal lives like getting so invested in the process because they cared yeah. to campaign and create flyers and market and like like someone gave a concession speech it was like incredible to see and i was like this is this shows it's human nature this, we, we and me and rayhan were joking like it's all it's all student body government vibes we're just we're just literally like, literally um, <laughs> but uh but yeah that, that was pretty entertaining okay so what what else T tell me more what what else can we expect from season four right you said like people form, forming their own initiatives right collaborating connecting all that stuff that that's what you guys are focusing on um yeah. but what does that what does that look like so more parties right more yeah events, i mean look more town event, halls. Events, city dow experiences those are all the obvious ones but i guess the maybe the alpha that i'll share is um we're getting ready to launch um our very own sort of fwb owned social network and so thinking about what a web3 community owned direct member directory looks like right you could think of sort of the utility um you could sort of think of the utility of like a facebook or a linkedin right but 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 being community owned and, and and indexing and creating an identity layer on top of our community um as for a way for token holders and community members to connect with each other and and not only like find potential collaborators based on like skill sets or interests but to really start to serve as like the central um infrastructure the central on-chain online identity infrastructure for our entire ecosystem where you can imagine a place to start displaying your po-ops right you're different you voted on different initiatives you can now display your po-ops on your member directory on your profile right the ability when you check into different events through the city DAOs that all starts to aggregate on your profile the, the number of governance proposals you vote on starting to create this fwb on-chain reputation that is displayed and visualized in a fun FWB way where we want to recreate MySpace top eight. Who are the, who are your top eight friends in Web3? We want to start to create all of these really sticky sort of social components um, that our product team's been heads down on for the last couple of months to really think about like, yeah, what is the identity layer? What is the member directory? What is the social network that's community owned look like um, in a way that can actually be governed by the community and can, can really be this central connecting point between our entire ecosystem of, of experiences and as well as well as people uh and so really excited about that it's it's, it's still some ways out but but we're hoping that that's a mid-season four type of uh, initiative that we launch that's really exciting that's really cool i i like to think about how we're still like in the friendster phase of web3 uh where totally we still have MySpace and Facebook to go through. Not even TikTok has come into the picture yet. You know, there's so much development and so much growth uh, to to go through. All right, I have a I have a couple more questions for you. Uh, I know I want to channel it back to to you as a person. I know you're a photographer. You love photography. Uh, for starters, how long have you been a photographer for, and you still active with it? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm a photographer. I would just say I take photos. You know, I don't, I don't, I, I, I it's more I've seen a, your photos. They're pretty nice. Like, <laughs> I, like, I wouldn't shit on you, but okay, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I think it would just, there's so many amazing photographers that like are do photography and that is their primary thing. I just, I love just capturing 
uh, people. I love taking photos of people. I love portraits. I love, um, you know, just, just, I love party photography. There's something about that. I love like being in a social environment and having a camera on me or, 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 you know, having a, having a point, a point and shoot and being able to like capture the, the fabric or the texture of like a really good party or a really good experience. Um, it's just a way to kind of like, you know, I don't know, like capture those sort of memories and share them with friends and, and, and mm -hmm. sort of apply my own approach to that. But yeah, more of just like a fun, um, a fun little thing and, and bringing it around to these different like web three parties that we've been throwing have been really fun uh, as, as a way to kind of just like document everything. Cool. And do you think, are there any similarities between photography and, and internet communities? Just off the bat, like name wow. one. We don't, we don't have to you're go really through two into me, it. You're really throwing me the theoreticals. These, this, this of course, time. I have to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can name one. We don't have to dive too into it. I'm just curious, like, because I look back and everything that we do as like kids, as as early teenagers, as adults, all the dots connect, you know. And there's similarities and themes in everything that we do, right? Whether we like to admit it or not, who we are is is basically comprised of what we've done in the past. So. From a photography point of view, photography point of view, I'm like stumbling here. <laughs> what What is a similarity? Just one, if any. We could even skip it. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I think the ephemeral nature of it, right? I think with with photography, you're capturing. Um, while the, while the photograph is static, you're capturing a dynamic. Um, experience you're capturing reality right i think um that approach to understanding you can never own that moment but you're just sort of like capturing one frame of it um and and, and not being too attached it's sort of this idea of no cherished outcome like not being attached to a specific outcome with photography um is incredibly uh resonant and relevant to um what's happening right now in, 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 in web three and the internet, like you can't, mm -hmm. no, you can't recreate something like, like FWB is a consistently moving, living, breathing organism. And then there will never be another FWB. There will be things, many, many things like FWB, but FWB is a combination of the people and, and, and the time and, and the place and the, 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 the energy that, that then creates what we're experiencing. No different than a photograph can never be recreated twice, right? You could you can you can take, um, you know, the light will never be exactly the same. The, definitely not party photography, which is my favorite. You'll never be able to. I never pose. I never make people pose. I fucking hate making people pose. I never like. I'm like, oh, you guys stand here. I like being like watching a group of people interact, and then I'll take that photo mm -hmm. as like a, this was a thing that was happening at this moment in time. Um, so I guess the ephemerality of it. All right, great answer. I did not expect that. Great answer. All right. Uh, two more questions. If Jane Jacobs were to start a DAO, what would she kick off and what would be your role in it? Um, Jane Jacobs would, <gasps> would call other internet and get involved with the Gitcoin public goods DAO and help <laughs> think about ways that, um, ways that crypto can do a much better job of supporting public infrastructure and public goods. And then what would be your role in that? I would be, I would be a, a mere janitor or, or, uh, <laughs> or gardener and pulling the weeds. All right. Last question before I let you go. I'm a big fan of the development of the internet. I love seeing the stages of the internet from web one to web two. 
and now Web3. Web1 was very much read-only, uh, and then Web2 came into picture. Eight Web1, we developed social networks, we developed all these SaaS models, we developed all these internet companies and communities. People were products of the platform, and now Web3 is coming along where there's co-ownership, everything is transparent, there's borderless, uh, and people are making a lot of money, okay? And Web3 is supposedly eating Web2. What do you think is going to eat Web3? I think no one, I think owner, I think, I think, I think if web three is about ownership and co-ownership, web four will be about governance. I think we're still so early in that. Like, like how are we governing these massive platforms that are now co-owned, right? Like what's the, what's the power, what's the technology that's going to revolutionize and improve the governing infrastructure that ensures that web three doesn't make the same mistakes as web two. Right. I think that everyone is hurtling down this Web3 route right now. Very few people are thinking about the role of governance and how most of these token voting models are are not sophisticated nearly enough as what they should be because the stakes aren't high enough yet. But what happens when the, when the stakes become high? Right. And, 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 and are we building that in a way um, to ensure that it is an equitable process um and it's not just one token one vote which you can anyone can see the flaws in, in a model like that um and so yeah i think web 4 will be the technology around governing and how that affects our physical lives in a metaverse-esque context not as in a we're living and uploading our brains in a digital environment but in a voting now affects your day-to-day -day life because everything has been co-owned and fractionalized and your vote and input is is necessary to determine the success or an outcome of that specific thing that you own where everything eventually will be fractionalized so everything will need governing structures and if we don't have the right technology for that um i think that um it's going to be really really bad or repetitive of the past Perfect. I think that's a great place to end off. Before I let you go, where can we find you? Where can we find your work online in Discord, et cetera? Shill yourself for a minute in the projects you're working on. Um, uh, yeah, just my Twitter, um, Alex Zhang with two X's and two Z's. I don't really tweet as much as I should, but um, yeah, most of my work, honestly, uh, is FWB. So you all, you all can find me in the Discord. Um, and then I try to write whenever I get time to ship to share my learnings with other people who are building DAOs, um, which can be on my, uh, I think it's, yeah, it's on my mirror. So you just go to my uh, um, zang.whatevermirror.xyz. Nice, man. Thank you cool. so much, bro. Awesome. This was fun. I hope to have yeah, you soon again. Yeah, peace.